Welcome new listeners or welcome back regular fans to Work at Life. I'm Maddie Grant, a culture consultant at Propel, and I'm here with my co-host, Sonia Lucina, president of the Workforce Division at Question Pro, who is also an organizational psychologist. And our show, Work at Life, is a show for everyone, whether you're an employee or an employer, who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work. This means that we explore a ton of burning topics related to creating more human workplaces. And what's different is that we look at these issues through the lens of both the individual and the organization. And of course, we want to, you to leave every episode with at least one practical idea to take back with you and definitely probably more than one. <laughs> so with that, uh, today we have another awesome guest and I'm very excited to turn it over to Sonia to give us a little background on who we have with us today. Thank you, Maddie. And I don't know if all the time in the world we'll do introducing Anna Justice because she is one of my dearest friends. We met in Chicago, I won't say how many years ago, uh, but getting our PhDs in organizational psychology. And I remember just from the first day we met, she was just this like incredibly like energetic, like full of love for life person. And so incredibly smart. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, who is this oh, girl? Um, and <laughs> it's all true, it's all true. And she was just um, maybe in some ways unintentionally just an incredible mentor for me, like through our you know, graduate program. She was just one year ahead of me in our program, but that makes a big difference in like learning the ropes and knowing, you know, how do things work and how do I go through classes and what is this, you know big beast of a dissertation and, and how do I approach that? And so in many ways, forever indebted to her for that. And then we worked together um, actually for our first jobs out of grad school. So, and I was in her wedding. I'm still not married. So maybe one day she'll be <laughs> in mine <laughs> if I ever decide no doubt. to do that. I know one day, one day. Um, but it just, um, Anna, it is such a pleasure to have you here. I think you know, outside of the reasons that you're just a phenomenal person and a great friend of mine, we invited you because you're doing some really, really cool things in talent management. And I know when we spoke and you were specifically talking about career development and training and some of the new things that you're seeing, you know, out in the market, I thought, wow, with all the organizations talking about just the importance of that, um, and the importance of retention and how hugely that fits in, that it was just a really, really brilliant topic um, for one of our shows. So before we jump into the topic itself, I would love for you to just take a few minutes, introduce yourself a little bit around, you know, the work that you've done in, in the last several years, and then we'll jump into some of the data and the questions. Great. Thank you so much, Sonia. And I feel like you've already done a wonderful introduction. So thank you for that. But yeah, I've been in the talent management field pretty much throughout my entire career since graduate school. Uh, started out in consulting, but then very quickly pivoted into the corporate world, practicing uh, talent management, org development within uh, global corporations. And uh, it's been a phenomenal journey just to kind of see how that uh, subject matter gets executed in large organizations where you have to do a lot of stakeholdering, different points of view, some of them going through mergers and acquisitions. 
um, and especially the field of learning, which I would say for me personally, that's been one of the kind of domains of larger talent um, management that's, that I probably started practicing more recently, uh, which actually gave me a lot of opportunity to one kind of read up on what's happening externally in this space, uh, but also start applying some of those lessons to the organizational culture and context that I work within. So yeah, that field I think has dramatically transformed. Uh, and to your point, kind of as we get into the topic, we've seen a lot of changes recently that are very much in line with the broader topic of employee experience. Mm -hmm. And employee experience, I feel like today just encompasses everything. Like almost from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep, whether you're working or not, there's some way that your work is impacting you. And we've, we've packaged all of that into this, you know, big category of employee experience, but then like there's so many subcategories and so many different factors that, that play into it. And I know in some of the research we've done, again, how much learning and development, just how much of a role that plays in satisfaction, the likelihood that people are going to stay in the company, because I know one of the trends that we're seeing is back in the day, you know, a decade, two decades ago, whenever it was all about climbing the corporate ladder and what's the next job and what do you, you know, what do you do? And now people have become, I guess, for the lack of a better word, maybe like open-minded or want to mm -hmm. explore different things, want to know. And so it's not just about when am I going to get my next promotion and when is my title going to change, but how many different things can I experience? And preparing for this um, podcast, for this conversation, we actually went out and asked 300 workers in the U.S. how satisfied they are with the amount of learning that they get on the job. And just a third, 35% said that they're extremely satisfied. And again, it's kind of like, oh, this is so important. Um, and overall, if we looked at extremely and somewhat satisfied, it was about 65. So there's still a third of people that are just saying, you know, their organization is now really stepping up and, and delivering what they would say would be a good employee right. experience when it comes to learning and development. So one of the things that you just mentioned that I wanted to go back to, I wanted to open up with this data point because we usually start our conversations by saying like, hey, this is why we're talking. Because right. We're seeing data in the marketplace. This is important. But one of the things that you said is that you've been, you know, reading, researching to see what is going on in this field today. And for those of our listeners that are, you know, a part of this conversation now, and they're saying, oh, I want to learn more. Well, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What people do you talk with? What would be maybe some, whether it's like literally publications or podcasts or conferences, like whatever it is, like, what are some of your go-tos where you thought, ah, like I learned something really cool here. I think it would be great for other people to check it out. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a very valid question. And I actually, I will probably start out by saying that a lot of the knowledge that I've acquired around the trends in learning and development honestly just come from networking with other learning mm -hmm. and development professionals that have been in this field specifically for way longer um, that I have been. So that's been just kind of a wealth of information connecting with my peers in other companies and learning what they're doing, but also what they're struggling with. Um, I think, you know, as far as the publications go, I mean, things that I just have on a regular subscription, like HBR always has something that you can relate to in the learning and development space. I mean, you know, we've been members both organizationally and personally of ATD. They put out a lot of, um, interesting pieces and they have annual conferences as well. So there's sort of a plethora out there. I mean, to be perfectly honest, at this point, you can kind of type into Google 
uh, you know, learning and development trends and any big five consulting firm uh, will have a point of view on this, right? But I think to me, yeah. and it's valuable research for sure, but sometimes just being able to talk to a peer that's really been able to apply it uh, on a practical level has been, I think, most um, helpful. And I think the the theme that sticks out to me in this space, which is interesting because I feel like we've been applying this theme to many other things in the human capital or HR world, but just now are starting to think about it in learning and development is this notion of personalization, right? So mm-hmm. we've been talking about personalizing benefits, personalizing onboarding experiences for people, because we know that everybody comes into the workforce kind of looking for somewhat of a different experience. They bring their values, they bring their beliefs, they bring their personal life to work. So they expect the same things to be replicated for them in terms of the processes and programs that we deliver. And I think the learning development is just kind of going through this evolution of how can we personalize learning, which for us, I think, in the organizational context that I've worked in before, and especially where I work today, um, it's really a lot about meet the employees where they're at. So mm-hmm. where historically, where we would have been doing a lot of programmatic things, send somebody to a two-day program or kind of an offsite event, and hopefully they're going to retain the content and apply it onto the job. Um, and again, though, right, it's like very episodic, Uh, very kind of milestone based, we've completely pivoted and we're using actually the notion of this to learning journeys. How can we ensure that the learning kind of goes beyond, there might be still elements with those learning journeys that will pull together a group of people into some kind of a two-day experience with an instructor, but to kind of give it longevity and making sure that it's sustained. We've been really thinking more systemically around how can we elongate that experience, but also make it relevant to the person at the point in their career that they're in, whether, you know, when it's somebody coming in as an individual contributor, what does that look like for them? What about those that might be kind of at the cusp of, I'm an individual contributor, but really interested in people leadership type roles versus those, you know, that are really more on the customer side, thought leadership side. So that's that's one of the things that we've been um, experimenting with, because, again, it's it's a lot of pilots are currently taking place, but very much in line with, again, the trends that we're seeing in other areas of HR and also what we've been hearing from employees in different listening sessions, employee engagement surveys. So I think that's been extremely well received that a lot of what we're doing is with the employees in mind and a direct response to what they've been asking for. I love that because, and I'm remembering like even our conversation, I think it was like several years ago and we were talking about at that point, performance management. And I remember you mentioning like we're piloting something. And I think that's, it's so important because it allows you, like you get, like you were saying from continuous listening, you get all this input from your employees for what is it that you want. And then how do you make sure as you're building the system, you're doing it the right way, right? Because you're executing in a way that you believe is what you heard, but I'm also thinking about like scale too, and like the combination between inputs from employees and then technology. And how do you like make that personalization really effective in a large organization where Mm -hmm. you have to your point, so many different, almost employee personas for the lack of better word. And how do you interact with them? And one of the things we talk about a lot about on this podcast too, is just incredible impact that like even B2C marketing, advertising had ha- has had on people's brains because you're so used to when you're interacting with products and with um, 
organizations or brands that they appear in front of you because there's all this technology now and all this intelligence they're like oh you know i was just searching for something like that like and now i'm seeing these other products and platforms that are very much related um so doing that at an organizational level imagine that that's going to be really well received, like you were saying, because it's almost the way that we've been trained how to experience things in other parts of our lives. And now it's, you know, being translated to learning and development. Yeah. And I think you hit on something and we haven't fully cracked the code on this either that, you know, that's why, I mean, we are very intentional about doing this as a pilot first, but the scaling uh, in large organizations, when you start personalizing to that extent, does become a challenge, right? And then where does the technology come in, but doesn't completely replace kind of the human element of what we're delivering? Um, And again, it's like even right now, just witnessing the pilots are going really well, but they're probably touching uh, 10% of our organization. And, 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 you know, we're probably going to be in that mode for the next six months to a year, while the rest kind of, of the employees are asking, well, what about me? You know, it's, all about personalization, yet I don't get to experience it. How will I eventually experience it? So there's definitely pieces to this um, that are challenging, but I think it's kind of a trade-off at the end of the day, because again, doing cookie cutter does give you scale and I think makes it a little bit easier operationally to execute and deliver on, but I think that ultimately misses the mark um, when we talk to employees and to the point that you've made around the data that you guys collected, how many people really find their company's approach effective or satisfying in terms of learning and development. No, absolutely. Like you need a whole digital strategy to go alongside it, right? In a way. Yeah, right, exactly. Like internal digital strategy, not just external. Yeah. Um, When it comes to like, I know you've been doing some cool things, particularly when it comes to like manager and leader development and training. Um, Can you tell us a little bit around trends? That's something we're actually studying now at Question Pro and working on a scale to actually look at leader experience because we realize in a lot of surveys, what will happen with organizations is you do it at a larger scale. But it was funny that you mentioned HBR. I feel like we still live in the same city, even though we're like half a world apart. I'm like, HBR, it's like I, and every one of the shows I mentioned at least an article from there. And, and they've been talking a lot about the different pressures that are put on managers and leaders, the different expectations. So one of my colleagues, Anna, <laughs> and I are um, now just finishing up piloting a measure where we're asking like very leader specific questions around like, do you feel like that you have the resources do you need? Do you feel like the organization supports you? Do you feel like you have the capacity? Do you feel like the expectations that the organizations puts on you are aligned with what you would have expected out of this role, et cetera, to better understand like how the needs of leaders are changing and how organizations can more effectively support them. So with a lot of that, I think the training and development that we provide to people they can have such a great impact on their teams are going to continue to iterate as we, one of the big things we talked about, you know, is bringing your whole self to work. And what does that mean? Right. And if a leader has somebody raise their hand and say, Hey, you know, I'm actually, you know, experiencing some, you know, mental health issues. Are you equipped to handle that? Do you know what to do? So that's maybe one of the extremes. Um, but there's a lot. And I, I think on the one hand, it's really exciting because leaders have, you know, maybe even greater ability to make an impact today than they ever have in the past, but then they also have this great responsibility. So what are some things, like some trends that you're seeing in that area that you're particularly excited about? And there's, is there anything where you're like, okay, not that, like either like I'm not bought into it 
or I want to see somebody I like test it out first before maybe like we jump in with both feet and try. Yeah. Yeah. So no. So the kind of the, the people leadership area as it relates to training and development, I, I think that's what keeps all learning professionals up at night because it's such a critical population, right? In terms of change taking root in the organization and how much reliance it is on the group of people in terms of ongoing coaching and mentoring uh, while at the same time. And I don't think we're unique in that sense. I think most organizations also recognize that even when you have people leadership responsibilities, you're still delivering individual contributor work, right? Like I I very rarely find an organizational context where somebody will tell you, well, the minute somebody gets promoted to people leader role, all they're doing is managing other people and and coaching and developing them, but they no longer have any individual contributor tasks. So I think that's a balancing act because, you know, you still want want them performing successfully um, within kind of more of that individual responsibility, but at the same time realizing they should not abdicate or be freed up from really delivering great experience to the teams um, that they manage, right? So, So first, it's been a struggle in terms of recognizing the duality uh, of the role and also at the same time, similar to the rest of the employees, what are right now kind of the most important things to equip them with to be effective people leaders with their teams that are similarly pressed for time. So I think, you know, you've touched um, on a lot of things. The trend that I continue to see, which is interesting because I I feel like we've been talking about this for years, yet managers do struggle with that, continue to struggle with that. And you've just referenced performance management. We have continued to see um, in that context and other contexts that let's say require, I don't even want to say tough conversations, but candid Mm -hmm. conversations when there's um, a lot of hardships and struggle for people leaders, a lot of them, I think, still um, handled that responsibility through, well, let me call a friend in HR and help, you know, and help me with that versus kind of taking on that accountability. So we continue to do um, a lot of work with managers around how to deliver effective performance conversations, uh, pay conversations. Those always tend to be interesting. Uh, and, you know, and that also has a huge educational component because I think our managers even struggle with the notion, which we've been pursuing in all the organizations that I've worked in around. It's not just your base pay and incentive. It's kind of the total rewards package. How do you communicate it effectively? So just the whole training around effective candid conversation, almost domain agnostic, continues to be a focus and talking to my peers they seem to pay a lot of attention to that as well. And then I think over the course of the last two years, unsurprisingly, uh, the more human elements, right, which also oftentimes take the form of conversations, but also wanting to be more intentional and deliberate about it with their employees. Uh, How do you engage an employee, you know, in a more personal conversation about how they're doing, whether it's their mental health, whether it's general wellness, without necessarily crossing certain boundaries, which I think a lot of managers are very reluctant and almost afraid to do. Will this get me in some kind of trouble if I ask about X, Y, and Z? So there's a legality component to all of this, but at the same time, I want to come across as very authentic versus scripted. Um, So we've definitely been seeing a lot of this in literature uh, in terms, you know, and also trying to apply kind of integrate 
we're working on some wellness strategies within our organization in terms of how do we put our, it, it's not HR that always needs to be communicating wellness messaging to the organization. How do we, again, equip our people leaders with the right amount of um, kind of talking points, conversations, capability to deliver these messages in the right way and in the context of the role that their person is in. Yeah. Yes, I'm um, no. nodding heavily. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, there's. It's just there's, it's now. Yeah, there's so much in there, and I think one of the things too for people to remember, like, and I know I I say it because I get stuck in it sometimes, is that we don't. Nobody has all the answers now. <clears throat> so it's not like you talk to a single person. They're like, hey, we figured it out. This is you know what it looks like and. <clears throat> and how to run it. It's more even just around prioritization. And um, Anna, what you were saying, like around performance management and tough conversations, like that's been around for so long and it's so challenging. And I'm thinking about oftentimes we talk about this parallel of professional life and personal life. And wow, are those conversations we don't want to have personally either, right? Like you're never like, oh, I can't wait to have that tough conversation with my significant other. Like, no, said nobody ever. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't talk about it. It won't be a problem again tomorrow. I'm still here. Okay, I'll just wait one more day. Um, but there's so many things and we we understand the benefits that go both ways, bro, from the person observing the behavior and wanting to express and help the other person. And with the other person, oftentimes maybe receiving it a lot better than we expected, or also, you know, at least like they, they understand that something's there where just because it's not said doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So there, there is just like so, so incredibly much. So I hope that we do find a way. And, and to your point around the complexities, like I remember a long time ago when I was like my first years of being in a management role and somebody at Curb Builder in HR telling me like, you know, when your people go and ask for vacation leave, you can't ask them what they're going to do. Like not even in a friendly way, like it's mm. none of your business. And I was like, well, what do you mean? These are my friends. Like it's going to be, it's going to be more awkward right. if I don't yeah. ask them than if I do ask them. But now fast forward, I don't know, like 15, 20 years, however long ago that was. And there's so many additional things that are so much more common to talk about. But at the same time, what do you do with that after? If somebody opens up to you and, and this has come up, unfortunately, more than once in different conversations with people that have had not not necessarily on my team, but in other places is where somebody will say, no, somebody on my team said they're going through a really hard divorce. And what do you do right. with that? Yeah. Like, and of course, like, oh, goodness, you know, thinking about after the pandemic, I don't even want to look at the stats, but then, you know, how do you address that with the team? How do you support the person? When do you give them a break on performance? And when do you feel like it's gonna, you know, how do you explain it to the rest of the team, et cetera? So so many, so many things are getting so much more challenging, but hopefully in a path to continuing to, in some ways, what Maddie talks a lot about is, you know, humanizing the workplace. And a lot of these things right, that exactly. before we kind of shied away from because of some rules and regulation, but, but they existed are more in our face now. And we're faced with, again, just because you couldn't talk about something at work didn't mean that it didn't exist. That it didn't so now exist, it, right? And I yeah. think, yeah, and just recognizing that some of those, you know, like rules, regulations, and compliance mechanisms will continue to exist and they exist for a reason. But how do you, again, function within, within that paradigm and still bring that exactly humanness and, you know, just employee centricity to the organization? Because I think 
interestingly enough, you guys asked me about, and this is well beyond kind of learning and development, but another interesting piece of research that I've gotten a little bit closer to, and they published this to the on an annual basis, was Edelman Trust Barometer. And, and over the last two years, although I think they've been seeing this trend even pre-pandemic, um, individuals and employees look to organizations, employers now, as a source of trust, as opposed to media or governments or NGOs or whatever, whatever kind of institutions are out there. Uh, they are leaning in you know, towards their employers and saying, I want you to kind of be the source of the most trusted and credible information. Um, And, you know, I want you to take a stance on personal issues, societal issues. So I think that we're going to need to really reflect on there will be, again, sort of boundaries and guardrails. But how do you meet those expectations that people have in a most authentic, transparent way? Oh, that's going to be a big one because I think like, and so much of it, like to your point, it's so important. So it's not like, oh, well, I'm just not going to think about it. You have to think about it. Um, And I know our, our CEO of Question Pro oftentimes says like, we're just over, you know, 300 employees now and we are bootstrapped. So we don't have investors. We don't like it's, you know, him. And he's like, one of the best things about still being in this position is that I can voice my opinion. Um. And I don't have to worry about like, this is like what I stand for. This is what my company stands for. And I can choose how vocal I want to be. I want to choose how, you know, like he was quoted and on news for like when the abortion laws came out and we're, we, we're, we're work from anywhere right now, but officially we're headquartered out of Texas. And so he was out there saying, you know, I will support my employees in any way that I need to. And oftentimes him saying that one of the things he values about the way our organization is set up is that he's allowed to do that. But we know many organizations aren't because you're not as a CEO. Sometimes you, (laughs) you have a lot of people that you have to answer to. Um, But now then you, to your point, you have this combination of the trust and people looking to you. And now we're, you know, it's, it's June is pride month and it's really nice to see a lot of organizations coming forth and, expressing their stance on that and being a lot more open about it, even though there are still for some states, for some countries, you know, it's not completely not controversial yet, but I think the more people that show their stance, right, the better, the better direction we're going to head towards. But that's, that's really interesting. I'll definitely have to check out that report. I'm, I'm noting it in my head because my notebook's too far to scramble now and and write a note, but (laughs) (laughs) if I forget, I might, I might send you a note. You can reach out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know where to find you. I know where to find you. So um, as we start to wrap up, I feel like I, I have so many more questions for you, but one thing that I wanted to ask is, you know, a lot of times I think you shared a lot of really good research, a lot of really good advice where you look to, um, when you're thinking about, at first I wanted to say the younger generations, but it's not even necessarily the age when people are aspiring to go into management, when, you know, if they are in management and they're saying, you know, we were just talking about this moving needle of what makes a really standout manager, a really standout leader, um, based on what you're seeing, what would be some of your advice for like where to focus? Like we talked about this, you know, these self-made journeys and focusing in the right moment for the right person. So I know that like one blanket recommendation doesn't necessarily follow that. But have you seen something in the work that you're doing where you're like, you know, 
I think people are at different levels in this area, but almost no matter what level you're in, it's an area where you might want to like skill up a little bit or a lot, um, or it's just something for you to keep an eye out on because we're seeing this, you know, knowledge, skill, or ability is something that's either emerging or just generally really important in a person to be a good leader. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. And I think it almost gets at you when you don't ask and when you don't have an honest conversation with yourself or with whomever you trust in your organization and kind of fall into, for lack of a better term, a people leader role, uh, that's when we start seeing issues arise, right? I think we've all heard it's such a cliche right now, you know, oh, really? I mean, that person should have never become a people leader in the first place. And I, and I think some of it is caused by organizations only promoting people leadership path as a way to advance uh, or some people just not taking a step back and really reflecting on what that entails. So I don't know if it's necessarily kind of a upskilling type recommendation, because I think all the traits or skills that are part of people management, people leadership, whether it's coaching, developing others while continuing to develop self, uh, active listening, communication skills, all of those continue to be important. But I think in my organizational context where I've really seen effective people leaders, what they have what they have all done prior to taking on that responsibility is really doing that self-reflection and self-discovery and having it, whether they really want to take that on as an additional responsibility. Because again, some people think oh, it's going to come with more money. It might come with a better title. It might come with a better accolade. But I mean, do you ultimately know that you're signing up for, right? Like you're, it's kind of like having kids, uh, you're going to have less time <laughs> yeah. for yourself while you're still, again, performing in an individual contributor capacity, but now you're taking care of someone else. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless, you know, unless you genuinely don't care about what happens to your team, which I want to give the benefit of the doubt that most people mm -hmm. at least care somewhat about their team. So I think really fully acknowledging and recognizing what those responsibilities entail and really having a conversation with yourself or someone you trust. Do I really want to sign up for this? And I think, you know, one of the things that we're doing in one of our learning journeys, which we interestingly call transition, it's for mm -hmm. individuals that are uh, kind of, you know, on an individual contributive path, but entertaining the possibility of moving into the people leader role that's where we kind of have a lot of curriculum and education and resources and tools to help people move through that self-discovery and really peel for, unpeel for them. Like, what does it mean to be a people leader? What can you expect? What are some, you know, what are some of the skills? What are some of the derailers that, that um, may occur along the way? So I think that that's been what we found to be really effective. Also in terms of selecting out. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? As long as I think organizations recognize that both people leadership or managerial paths matter, professional paths matter, there's nothing wrong with coming to a conclusion through the self-discovery process, this isn't for me. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And it's it's so important um, <laughs> for people to remember that. And uh, to your point, I think it's a two-way street. One is for a person, like you said, like self-reflection. And realizing that if I want it, do I want it for the right reasons? And if I tried it, do is it is this maybe not the right thing for me? And you know what I tried and I thought I would love it and I don't. And luckily that's sometimes easier than you know, when you're a parent, you're like, ah, what did I do? 
okay, but this kid is still here. <laughs> like, you know, it's a, it's a exactly. little trickier to get out of it. But, um, and I think for organizations to create a culture that doesn't necessarily mean to your point that the progression is you've made it when you're a manager or a leader, that there are infinitely many more ways that somebody can make a huge impact that does not mean that they're leading people. And right, so I think exactly. that, that as, as organizations are transitioning for that message to be perfectly clear, because then I think you're gonna, you're more likely to have the people that are really passionate about it and want to be good at it in those roles versus to your point, just, oh, I've made it, I have this huge team. And all of a sudden you realize that like, actually I'm miserable, not even that maybe I'm not good at it, but this is just not what I enjoy doing. And that that's, yeah. it's okay um, to change. Anna, thank you so much. Like this was such a fun conversation and I love it. I think this was our first one that it wasn't like just you and me or like you, me and Jules and like a small group of people um, just chatting. So I know our listeners are going to love what you said. And thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing all of your experience. It was so lovely to have you. Um, yeah, thank really, you really so much for having me. This was a ton of fun and I really appreciate it. So much more we could dig into. Yes, maybe next time. We'll see. Maybe next time, <laughs> for sure. I'll yeah. come back again. <laughs> we love it. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. See you thank soon. you for listening. Bye.